0: People are always going to search for affordability. They're going to find a solution, whether that means living and co-living with family or whether that means renting out spare bedrooms or Airbnbs or things like that with their owner occupied home.
1: Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com.
0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Actively Passive Show. I'm your host, Travis Watts. Thank you so much for tuning in to yet another great episode. This episode is called Renter Nation. I titled it Renter Nation because what we're talking about is homeownership is becoming less affordable. I think we all know that and many would be home buyers are right now on the sidelines waiting for either prices to adjust and or come down unfortunately with commodity prices rising and with wages increasing and with inflation at the highest points we've seen in several decades many renters are becoming long-term renters and that may potentially be for life America has become a nation of renters. In fact, the number of households that are renters is up from 31.2% in 2006 to 36.6% in 2016, according to the PEW Research Center, who basically did an analysis of the U.S. Census Bureau estimates of housing inventory, and these numbers continue to grow and expand here through 2021. Meanwhile, the average home price continues to rise and has been for many years now. And with so many people unable to buy, especially over 2020 and 2021, rental demand has increased. And what we're starting to see now is rents are catching up and they're rising rapidly. I'll share with you guys a real life example. I'm invested in an apartment deal. It's a real estate syndication in Boise, Idaho. And for years, there's been a lot of people moving to Boise, Idaho. But since the pandemic and more specifically over the last 12 months, Boise, Idaho is now leading the nation in the fastest rent growth up nearly 33 percent over the past 12 months. Another example of an extreme market would be Spokane, Washington, just behind Boise, Idaho. Spokane's had a 29% rise in rents over the past 12 months. And just to kind of zoom out and put all that in perspective, the nationwide average for rent increases right now is hovering around 10% over the past 12 months. As we've discussed in previous episodes, there's a very large demand right now from institutional buyers in the single family space, companies like Blackstone and iBuyer's. In case you didn't catch the last couple episodes, Blackstone acquired a company called Home Partners of America. They own about 17,000 single-family homes nationwide. That acquisition was valued around $6 billion. And here's why I like to share a few facts about Blackstone. They're known for setting trends in the industry, especially in the institutional space. So unfortunately or fortunately, depending on what side of the coin you're on, this may be just the beginning of institutions and institutional buyers entering heavily into the single-family market, thus making single-family homes more expensive. And to quickly define iBuyers, I would recommend doing your own research and just run a quick Google search. But basically, iBuyers are companies that are willing to make you or I a full cash offer with no contingencies as far as repairs or warranties or upgrades for your home. And then what they do is they go in and they do a light renovation and put it back on the market. And they're eliminating the middleman, so to speak, of realtors and realtor commissions and lower closing costs and things like that. There's a lot of companies right now in this sector that are trying to gain rapid market share, just like we've experienced in the past with companies like Amazon. They may do certain things where they're operating at a loss in the beginning in order to get market share, like what Amazon did with their Kindle devices. They were actually selling them below the cost of manufacturing them in order to get more customers hooked on their software, their programs, their audiobooks so that they would gain market dominance long-term and they could slowly but surely rise the prices to the market level. So all this to suggest that the single family market in the United States has a very low inventory, a very high demand both from Main Street and Wall Street investors and buyers, and right now is experiencing all-time record highs. And a good portion of Americans that would be otherwise homeowners are unfortunately being priced out of the market. We'll get back to the show in just two minutes, but first,
1: some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. As your portfolio grows, you need financial management services you can rely on to help you save money and continue making the right choices for your company's future. Realestateaccounting.co's top-tier CFO team uses their deep industry and operating experience to guide real estate syndicators, investors, and family offices through every pivotal moment and crucial decision. Their fractional CFO services include budget to actual, cash flow and distributions, and reporting and valuation. Go to realestateaccounting.co forward slash CFO to find out why REA is one of the fastest growing real estate accounting companies around. The real estate experts provide timely analysis and consultations to help you make the most informed decisions possible. See and trust where your portfolio is headed with the customized financial reports ThinkMultifamily.com forward slash coaching highlights the partnerships, joint ventures, and resources all available through the coaching program. Go to thinkmultifamily.com
0: forward slash coaching to learn how to become a member and get involved. So let's talk a little bit about this housing shortage. How did we get here, and why do we have this supply and demand imbalance in the first place? Well, first and foremost, I'll start with the pandemic, still on everyone's minds. The pandemic was a very interesting thing that happened. A lot of people started working from home. Some people decided this might be a good time to retire anyhow, And we saw a lot of shifts happening. We saw New York, New Jersey, California, these high-tax states coming down to lower-tax states, whether that would be, say, the Carolinas or in Georgia or in Florida. We see a lot of inward migration into Texas, especially out of California. And just even regionally speaking, we saw a lot of shifts in the market. So what happened is, There was affordable housing, so to speak, in these areas, but everyone started chasing it about the same time all at once and bought up what inventory there was. And real estate at the end of the day is really just supply and demand. So now we have a lack of inventory on the market. A lot of people still wanting to move to these places. So prices being bid higher and higher in the process. But here's something pretty interesting that you may not know we were never, as a country, building enough housing to begin with. And I'll give you an example. There was a study done by the National Association of Realtors, and what they said is that the U.S. built an average of 276,000 fewer homes per year from the years 2001 to the year 2020 compared to 1968 up to the year 2000. In other words, if the building had kept up with the demand this whole time, we would have approximately 5.4 million additional homes, thus evening out this crazy supply and demand issue that we're seeing. Not to forget that between the years 2001 and 2020, we had the Great Recession, which was really a housing crisis, and there wasn't a lot of development happening through those years. So I went and I did a little bit of research here recently on home ownership percentages. And to my surprise... Homeownership in the U.S. for decades and decades now, I'm talking since at least the 1980s, has hovered around 65%. Now, there's a lot of reasons why home ownership goes up and down to include construction costs and labor costs, material costs, interest rates, political policy, the Federal Reserve, the administrations that come in. For example, when I bought my first home, there was a government stimulus for first-time homebuyers where they would give you basically a tax credit to purchase a home, things like this. So what we're seeing here in 2020 and 2021 and looking forward to the future here is building costs have rapidly been increasing. Now, not all of this is due to the pandemic. We were seeing building costs and the cost of copper and lumber, et cetera, up in 2018 and 2019, but it's more rapidly gone up here in the last 12 to 24 months. As I mentioned many times on the show, we saw earlier this year lumber at 300% price increase compared to where it was before. But again, it was already up 94%. I think it was in 2018 or 2019 pre-pandemic. The pandemic also caused a lot of supply chain issues. So a lot of materials couldn't get here, which is part of why we're seeing such rapid inflation in certain supplies. There's also a labor shortage, as I'm sure you're aware nationwide. For whatever reason, it's tough to get labor right now. So again, companies have to charge more if you really want to get that product or that service right now. And also home construction, I know at least from... April, it had dropped 13% compared to the month prior in March. And according to the National Association of Home Buyers, they're saying basically over the last six to 12 months that $36,000 has been added to the price of buying a single family home that doesn't just carry over to new construction. Of course, that is also in benefit of anybody who owns pre-existing real estate as well. So what happens next and where do we go from here? It's an interesting question and it may come as a bit of a culture shock. But what we might be seeing here in our near future is Co living again, where multiple generations in a family are living together, for example. I'm seeing this happen right now in my inner circle with some of my friends, elderly parents that are finding it difficult to rent or keep up with inflation. So they are coming to live with their kids, potentially grandparents coming to live with parents because assisted living is quite expensive if you've never looked into that before. And as my wife and I have traveled over the years, I'm just thinking right now on a global level, this is not abnormal. There's a lot of countries, in fact, I don't know if I could say the majority, but when we were going through Asia, when I was working in the Middle East years ago, it's quite normal to have grandparents, parents, and kids within the same household for affordability reasons. In my perception, there was a period of time in America where it was, hey, everyone should be a homeowner, and homes were getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and it was at a time where inflation wasn't very high either, and we didn't have these supply and demand issues quite to this extent. This is where you may have heard the term McMansion. <laughs> this is where everyone's buying these single-family homes that are four-bedroom and five-bedroom and six-bedroom and 6,000 square foot and all this kind of stuff. But again, these were being built at a time where it was a bit more affordable. In fact, my wife and I actually met by being roommates in one of these homes. What had happened is the owners went through the Great Recession with their McMansion. Their kids have gone away to college. They had all these spare bedrooms. They couldn't really sell because they would take such a hefty loss, so they started renting the bedrooms out, and my wife and I temporarily, it must have only been about six months or so as we were transitioning in our careers, didn't know each other, she was renting a room, and I was renting a room in that household, and that's actually how we met, so I think Everybody at the end of the day is looking for affordability, especially now with inflation being so high. That's exactly what these homeowners were doing. They were saying, well, we have this, what we thought was an asset, which kind of turns out to be a liability because we're underwater and we owe property tax and insurance and all the rest. Why don't we rent out the bedrooms. They didn't have kids that were coming to live with them and they didn't have an elderly parent living with them, but they had us paying their mortgage for them, basically.
1: We'll get back to the show in just two minutes, but first, some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. Let me ask you a question. Do you want to start your own syndication business or maybe you've tried but you've been unable to get your first apartment deal? Well, it's hard. I know firsthand getting started in syndication is not easy. So have you considered working with a mentor? Imagine working one-on-one with a full-time syndicator who can help you do your first apartment building deal faster, help you avoid big mistakes, and scale your portfolio. If you feel like I'm speaking to you right now, then I want you to check out the mentoring program from my friend Michael Blanc, who specializes in helping people get started with apartment buildings. I've known Michael for many years now, and he genuinely wants to help people become financially free. He developed a proven system and has helped hundreds of people do their first apartment building deal. I know he can help you as well. To find out more, text the word Joe J-O-E, to 66866. I know Michael's gonna take care of you. Go ahead and text the word Joe, J-O-E, to 66866. Do it right now while it's fresh on your mind, and let's get you started with your own apartment syndication business. Here's a problem you're probably not solving for right now. Have you ever had a tenant squat inside your rental and refuse to pay rent? Or are you worried about renting to a serial rent dodger? You've probably used a credit report for tenant screening before, but what if I told you you're missing out on info you need to properly verify prospective tenants? That's a problem, and the solution is Rentify. Rentify provides a summary of a prospective tenant's financial information using bank-verified transactional data you can't get from a credit check. This includes monthly income, payroll, past rent payments, and identity verification. Rentify's reports also highlight non-sufficient funds, overdraft history, and missed rent payments. It's all available at www.trustrentify.com. The best part is Rentify's financial reports instantly verify the full financial picture of a tenant within minutes, so you will no longer have to waste hours or even days verifying their information manually, and you can eliminate the risk of being duped By fraudulent documents and losing thousands of dollars, getting unreliable tenants evicted. Visit TrustRentify.com and use the promo code FAIRLESS for 25% off your first report package. That's T-R-U-S-T-R-E-N-T-I-F-Y.com. Put in the promo code FAIRLESS, F-A-I-R-L-E-S-S, for 25% off your first report package.
0: The bottom line, as I said, people are always going to search for affordability. They're going to find a solution, whether that means living and co-living with family or whether that means renting out spare bedrooms or Airbnbs or things like that with their owner-occupied home. I also want to take a minute here in this episode to further explain something. I get this feeling that there's still a bit of a negative stigma around being a renter versus being a homeowner, and I just want to bring a new idea out there to the table and put some numbers to it. So this is a true story. My wife and I, we owned a single-family home in Florida. This was many years ago, and we decided to sell the home and to become renters by lifestyle design, I like to call it. And let me explain why. So this home that we owned, I had to put $175,000 down for the down payment. And even after doing that, so now my money's locked up in the house, right? I can't get it back unless I do a refinance or something years down the road, assuming the home went up in value at that point. And our payments per month were about $2,300. So when we sold... I took the $175,000 back. I really didn't make much money on the home at all. And I put that into multifamily investments. I was investing in private placement syndications. We rented a place in the same neighborhood for $1,700 per month. It was a little bit smaller of a place, but it was literally about a mile from our house. So that $175,000 that was invested brought in about 1450 a month in cash flow from the multifamily investments. And our rent was $1,700. That means we were effectively living for $250 per month. Or said another way, we were saving about $2,000 per month. So instead of locking up my $175 in a home and paying $2,300 a month, I took my $175 and put it in investments, and I paid $1,700 rent, and I had $1,450 coming in in cash flow. So the difference there is $2,300 minus $250, so about $2,000 per month. Additionally, because we did this intentionally, we were able to have flexibility so many words here we were able to travel we were able to not have the worry of hey our roof needs replacement or our ac unit just went out when we least expected it none of this was out of pocket expenses because we were renters that fell on the landlord So all that to suggest that maybe renting could make sense for you or someone else. So I don't want to do this episode in terms of if you're a renter, you'll never get out of the rat race. Or if you're a homeowner, that's where everyone wants to be. There's pros and cons to both. And understanding the difference is what will make you an intelligent investor. So a few takeaways here from the episode we are currently seeing and we will likely continue to see a lot of demand for housing, both from Main Street buyers like myself or like yourself and institutional buyers as well. Home prices are definitely on the rise in many markets in a double digit form, forcing more people to rent versus own. We are experiencing very high inflation compared to the last several decades. There is a shortage of inventory both in single-family homes and in affordable apartment rent. If you are a landlord, perhaps you might consider holding on to your properties. If you are currently buying real estate, please make sure that it cash flows and that the numbers make sense. And if you do currently rent where you live, you might consider investing like my wife and I have done for several years where we can potentially offset our rent with cash flow from other investments. Thank you guys. As always, so much for tuning in. I'm your host, Travis Watts. This has been another episode of the Actively Passive Show. Don't forget to like and subscribe. We'll see you next time.